Produced by women about women, Powerful Women Let's Talk is a series of interviews with women who are trailblazers and have helped shape our world, transforming who we are and how we live. It all started with an interest in math and science, thanks to the Grand Rapids Public School Education. Dr. Kelly Christopher has taken that interest to today as founder and executive director of STEM Greenhouse. Let's talk about this journey on this edition of Powerful Women. Let's talk. Hello, Powerful Woman. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> doing fine. Good that you are here. Dr. Kelly Christopher with one L. And of course, we are here to talk a bit about your journey. I'm going to get uh, uh, your day job out of the way. STEM sure. Greenhouse, what is this all about? Well, um, STEM Greenhouse, we're all about preparing children of color for careers in science, technology, engineering, and math. And one of the things that really is unique about our organization is that we we understand that uh, foundation in math and science are really critical to access STEM careers. You know, mm-hmm. you can't just do robotics and somehow, you know, it's not okay if you don't have science or uh, have a day of coding, but you're not proficient in math. So we want to make sure the students we work with have those um, foundational math and science skills to be successful. Great. We'll get back to that. But get me back to that young Kelly, the memories of liking math and science. Oh, I don't really have memories of liking math and science, surprisingly. When I was growing up, I didn't like math. That was the thing. I mm. I was uh, ashamed of my math ability. And I didn't know any women who liked math. And so I just thought that math wasn't for me. I thought I would probably have a career as a writer, you know, something in journalism or perhaps um, become a teacher, which I did. You know, I am an educator. But when I got to middle school, my middle school uh, counselor put me in honors math. Now, I was an honors like English student. I don't know if it was just the scheduling. It worked out better. You'd be in honors English and honors math. And I was thinking, I am not a good math student. I was so afraid. And I tried to get out of it. I, was gonna say, I told the counselor I didn't want to take it. She's like, oh, just give it a try. I went home, told my mom, I do not want to take honors math. I mean, I was crying. I was like, mom, I can't do it. She called, tried to get me out of it. The counselor said, just try for one semester. And so since I thought, okay, I'm stuck in this thing and I've never been good at math, but I really just started to work hard and try. And, and also math changes as you get older when you start getting into algebra versus when math is just about memorization. And if you can't quickly recall um, that, that mental math, those multiplication tables, then you just feel like you're horrible at math. But I really did enjoy more of the thinking type of math. And like I just became a really good student. I just started becoming an excellent student. I started getting all A's and even an A plus in math, which just seemed crazy for me. But the reality was I just had never been challenged. I had never really tried hard. I had given up on math in the third grade. And so when I went to high school at that point, I had seen myself transform. And, and then I just decided I was, you know, I had additional people telling me, you know, you can get all A's in, in school. And I thought, oh, that's a thing. You could try to have all A's. And so that's what I did. And I became the valedictorian of my high school. I graduated from Otto Hills High School. Oh, my gosh. Yep, yep. But uh, I think a lot of this journey is really simply because there was someone in my life who just wouldn't accept mediocrity wouldn't just say okay well you don't like math okay we'll just never challenge you in your life you know they're like sorry you're gonna try it just try it and I'm so glad that she did and um, that's really why I'm even here so what happened after high school well I wanted to well first let me say even though I was a straight A student excellent in math and science I would go to local engineering companies and 
it didn't seem like a field that I wanted to be in. I didn't really think about it back then, but the reality is just that like, I did not want to grow up to be a 50 year old white man. So seeing all these white male spaces, it didn't seem like a, a place that was welcoming to me. When I finally decided to go into engineering, it was because I had a friend who had, was a year older than me, black female, and she had gone into engineering. And so I said, well, let me try this engineering thing out, you know, and sometimes it takes that as well. That's why STEM Greenhouse is successful because we want students to see people of color, people that look like them in these fields, and then it makes you feel like, okay, yes, this is for me. And so I went to university, well, I went to North Carolina Anti-State University, which is a historically black college in Greensboro, North Carolina for my undergraduate degree. And then I went to the University of Illinois for uh, my master's degree and PhD, both in agricultural engineering, undergrad and graduate school. And at University of Illinois, of course, there were no other, there had never been a black person to get a PhD in agricultural engineering there. So um, these spaces were not particularly welcoming and it takes a um, certain amount of confidence to pursue a career when in a space where nobody looks like you but that also it helps you build strengths in some areas like I know now <laughs> you know because I did that I really don't feel like there's anything I can't do it prepares you in ways that you don't expect I, w I mentioned this one time in a post on LinkedIn that you know I didn't realize that getting that PhD the, what I was really exercising was just that muscle of just working hard, excelling, despite obstacles, despite social, um, you know, discouragement to being uh, socially out of place. Those things were important. And so now I can be in spaces and that doesn't bother me because I just had, you know, I've, I've, I've had so much racism and stuff that I've experienced already that at this point, I'm not saying I'm an expert at it, but I, I've I've done enough that I've overcome that it's it's not as big yes. of a deal. And yet, the third black woman to receive your PhD in agriculture engineering in the world does you yeah, still hold that's that right. title? Well, I mean, you're the, I was the third one, so there's people well, that come are. after yeah, me. Yeah. You know, there was the first one. I remember when I was an undergrad, there was one person, um, one black female from the Caribbean who had a PhD in uh, ag engineering. No American women, African American women, at that time. So when you're in, you know, when you're always the only one. Many times there's no African-American males either. And there weren't a lot of people coming up behind me. Like there was no, you know, I think the University of Illinois just got their second black person to get a PhD. And I got mine, you know, almost 20 years ago. So that just shows you that these spaces are not really changing. Uh, we're not doing enough to address those systems that prevent people of color from being successful in these fields. And let me follow up with that, and I'm quoting you, because of these experiences, I promised that one day I would try to personally make it easier for students of color to succeed, pursue, feel supported in STEM, and that's why we're here. That's exactly right. <laughs> you know, I, um, I had worked as an engineer, and I had seen STEM programming going on in the community and in just the world in general, and I just thought to myself, wow, I don't really see how this is going to help, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, oftentimes the people who are developing these programs, either they're not a person of color, they don't really have that background, understand what it's like to be a person of color in these spaces, or they might be a person of color, but they don't have any background in engineering. How can you create, you know, a program when you don't really know as, you know, as an educator, perhaps as a teacher, what is required, what level of uh, skill is necessary to be successful? So... I definitely can bring something to that space, having lived experience that so few people have.
that's really what has made, you know, STEM Greenhouse successful. You also say relationships are as important as curriculum in urban K through 12. Expand here. I have a YouTube channel and I have this one video and I just posted it recently. It is a YouTube video of students just dancing, okay? And what they want to be when they grow up. It has nothing to do with STEM, <laughs> but we're celebrating their culture. They're getting a feeling of belonging. That's more, that, that's more than half of the battle. You know, this idea, sometimes people who want to promote STEM to children, they want to say, oh, STEM is easy. STEM is fun. It is, it can, it's fun sometimes, but we want them to work hard, but we want them to know that you can work hard, but you can have fun. You can be in a space where you're cared about and loved among your friends. And that's, that's really one of the privileges a lot of white students have always had is that they've been able to be in environments where there's lots of white people doing STEM and that's just normal to them. Well, this, it has to be normal for our kids too, for them to be successful. You know, nobody wants to be that only little chocolate chip in the vat of vanilla, you know, it's, does, it's just not a comfortable space. And so as we build relationships with students, they don't care how much you know until they, you know how much you care. And believe me, they're 12, 13 years old, okay? They, they're, they're doing <laughs> you, life. Right, but. they're doing life. And just, <laughs> just imagine yourself at that age. Yeah. You know, what is gonna make you come after school twice a week for a whole school year to learn math and science when you've already been in school all day? You know, at some point when I was doing this program, I realized they were coming because of me, not because they just, you know, were so focused on their future, but they knew that um, I cared about them and I had an expectation for them to be successful, so. So what's the answer? Well, like, like I said, the key is really just making sure that students understand that you care about them. You know, that I don't say, okay, I'm only gonna work with the smart students or the, only the students who are struggling. We want to take you from wherever you are and just help you go further in life. That's just, it's pretty simple. If they hear over and over again, you can really be whatever you want to be. You're not limited to what you see around you. They just have to continuously see this. And that's why it's called the STEM Greenhouse. You know, I didn't say it's going to be the STEM week, you know, or the STEM day of coding. Greenhouse, that's right. Things bloom. <laughs> right. Things but start it takes time. Seedlings. You know, yeah. we have to create, cultivate environments where kids want to learn. So I'm not going to create a space where they're uncomfortable. I'm not going to create a space where they're not loved. Those are the, that's the environment that you have. To, and then you need to have time. You don't just throw seeds in the air and just like, good luck, you know, we'll give a kid a week of STEM camp and expect them to be an engineer. You know, you're 12 years old. Somebody is going to have to walk with you. It's just like um, having a personal trainer versus, you know, going to a one week boot camp. You need, sometimes you need that person saying, come on, you can do it year after year, day after day. Uh, that's what is, helps anybody become successful, really. Um, so I'm just applying, really, it's common sense, but I have found that common sense mm. is sort of revolutionary. Like nobody, you know, it's like, whoo, we're going to, um, you know, help kids day by day. Like we're not, they're not going to become an engineer after one day of coding. And that's hard. That's a hard concept for someone to grasp, especially in the schools that we're in, because there's no science teachers in these schools. These are middle schools. Our community doesn't have enough science teachers for its, all of its students. And generally, it's the black and brown students that don't get those science teachers. They're in middle school. They don't have science. They don't have a science teacher. Only 5% of black 11th graders in Kent County are proficient in math. What? We're not going to have a STEM pipeline at all, let alone a diverse STEM pipeline. 
because children of color are starting to outnumber white children in America's schools. So we are gonna have to address this problem. All students are gonna have to have an opportunity to learn. And this is for everyone's benefit. You know, I often tell companies, we're not doing this just for the kids because it's just and it's the right thing to do. This is a, a sustainability plan. There's no other people that you, these are the people that are going to have the jobs. So if you're not investing in their education, you won't have anybody to hire. And they're already experiencing that. So many companies cannot find anybody to hire, let alone a person of color. So if we live in a community that doesn't have enough science teachers for its students, and we're not doing anything about it, but we expect for tomorrow to have all the doctors and the nurses and the engineers, and we, we are just fooling ourselves. Solution would be? Part of the solution is organizations like the STEM Greenhouse. Because, you know, our track record is very, it's just been very successful. You know, the students in our after-school program, they have four times more growth in math than students in other STEM programs. The students in our, in our summer academy, they, the average student grows two grade levels in five weeks in their math computations. So that's amazing amounts of results. I shouldn't even have to beg for money, but that's what I do. But there's only one Dr. Kelly Christopher, so how do we expand it? To- <laughs> well, the, it's not, like I said, it's not rocket science. Part of it is diversity. Research has shown that all children learn best from someone who's demographically similar to them. So a white female will learn best from a white female teacher. A black male will learn best from a black male teacher. 85% of the teachers in the schools are white female. So it's not really surprising that black males are our most underperforming group. That is demographically a very dissimilar teaching profession. So if I have, you know, in my summer academy, we have five black male teachers. Somehow, miraculously, everybody is learning, but it's partially is because of that intentionality with around getting staff that looks like the students that we serve. And that has, you know, then we've been very successful with that. Your 17-year-old know how passionate his mom is? <laughs> well, my, my son says, Mom, you're always so extra. Like, you always have to just go, you know, he thinks I just do too much. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, yeah, so he gets it. It's a little bit overwhelming for my kids. They're, you know, I have a 17-year-old and I have a 13-year-old daughter. And um, she wants to be an engineer one day, an Imagineer, because she's a Disney fan, too. And so Imagineers are the engineers that work for Disney World. And... Um, we're Disney fans. Yeah, I'm going to get to the, some fun facts. <laughs> Goodness gracious. You are a Disney World fan. Disney villain's your favorite, so you can get away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really like uh, Disney villains. And, I, you know, I'm not alone. In addition, you know, I just kind of lean towards, I don't know what that is. Um, like in Harry Potter, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, into that too. And I, I'm in Slytherin House, which is sort of the evil. I, it's a weird thing. It's a... But I think there's part of me that is very rebellious because, to be quite honest, in, in the spaces that I'm in, I am, I'm a disruptor. I'm an agitator. Uh, not everybody is, likes me. I kind of like it like that. So I think I identify sometimes with villains. Not that I'm evil, but just that, you know, I don't mind um, not being liked. And that's, that's one of the difficult things with leadership is that you have to, um, one, you know, sometimes you have to get comfortable with not pleasing everybody. 
And in my case, you know, I consider myself an advocate for children, and and some people are going to like what I say, and some aren't. Training is moving. Hey, you dance. Dancing was the first thing you ever taught. What's this mean? <laughs> well, um, I started teaching dance when I was maybe in the eleventh grade, and I was taking dance classes. You know, um, tap jazz ballet but I was especially a good tap dancer um, but even now I dance and so you know like I said in my YouTube channel you know I had the students dancing we recorded some additional videos and um, recently and again I there's a challenge you know like a TikTok dance challenge and so me and the kids were doing that I just incorporate that into a lot of the work that I do because I like dancing and it helps me recruit students everything so yeah I taught dance at as a, like a volunteer for 4-H when I was oh, in yeah. high school. And I remember that was also was my first um, opportunity to do fundraising. And I guess it was a little bit of a nonprofit because I was teaching, I was a volunteer dance teacher in like a community center. And I wanted the kids to have a regular recital like other little kids when they take dance lessons, but they don't have uh, costumes and things like that. So I had to raise money for the costumes and I would t try to take them to Broadway performances and things like that so they could see dancers. It, it was just, I mean, to, for someone who's in the 11th or 12th grade, that's quite a bit. When I look back on it, I'm like, wow. Mm -hmm. No wonder you are who you are now. You really like the movies. What movies uh, well, uh, do you suggest? I, I just like uh, movies in general. I don't want, I, I'm not a like a action adventure type of person. I, I don't want to pay anybody to raise my blood pressure. But generally just dramas. I do like foreign films. I really got into that when I was in graduate school, watching a lot of foreign films and Chinese films movies especially but yeah so I just you know I'm just kind of a movie yeah. fan yeah. keeping mm -hmm. you normal yep how important are the awards that you've received and I'm leading the question I'm hope you're going to say that you don't put uh, your Giants <laughs> award in a box and never see it again you've earned these well you know initially when I started receiving some awards I thought wow something like the Giants awards is a really big deal in our community and I thought am I you know am I at the Giants award level but I'm starting to I'm starting to kind of know my worth, I guess you could say, in a way that I maybe didn't know back then. The things I do, the the risks that I take, there have been some risky things, things that professionally people have advised me not to do because they were afraid that I would insult or hurt someone's feelings or something, and I, I did it anyway. And so now I'm beginning to think, okay, I, I am a little bit, I am out there a little bit doing, willing to do some things that other people aren't willing to do. It's humbling. It is... Uh, you know, you don't do this work for recognition, but when someone recognizes you, I just won an award on Monday uh, from the Urban League. And, it's, and that, that award was? Uh, that's the Nolan, Nolan Gross uh, Business Leadership Award. And that, you know, that meant a lot because, again, um, it shows that people are, they recognize, they see what you're doing. That's basically what it's saying is, I see you. I see that, that you're trying this, this effort that you're making on behalf of the children in our community. And that it's working. Yeah, yeah, that there's some, there's movement there. People see the results. So what's next for STEM Greenhouse? <laughs> well, STEM Greenhouse is a small organization, but it's a big idea. You know, it's really ready to go to another level. We now have a high school program that we're starting at Central High School in Grand Rapids Public Schools. We have elementary school programming. We teach science during the day in two middle schools to all the sixth, seventh, and eighth graders at two schools because they deserve to have a science class and, you know, they deserve to um, have dissections and use microscopes just like any other middle school student. 
And so um, we need to be in all of those schools, not just two schools, but all the schools that don't have a science teacher. We, do, you know, we really need to be there. So there's a lot of potential for growth. There's a lot of kids in our community that need this support. You know, I'm just always looking for partners, people who, to come alongside that want to see a more equitable future for our children. I mean, it's, it's actually gotten worse. I was um, interviewed for a documentary about educating black boys and Spectrum Health, they're supporters of my summer academy. And the reason that I was in this documentary is because there are fewer black males in medical school now than in the 1970s. You know, we're going backwards as a society in terms of our, how we're preparing children of color for the future. And yet these are the children, like they're the majority. Children of color are going to be the majority of people very, very soon. So we're just doing ourselves a disservice if we're not able to give them the quality of education they deserve. So find Kelly Christopher ASAP to see how we can help. <laughs> you, you bet on, on that. What motto do you leave us with? What's, a, what's a, a take-home message for me? Well, you know, I guess this is a motto. This is a family motto. And this motto came from my grandmother's aunt. And she would say, I cover all the ground I stand on. And you have to like move your hand. You have to say, I cover all the ground that I stand on. And what that really means is that I'm not less than anyone. You know, any time I meet someone, I never go into it intimidated. You know, I am in the, the nonprofit space. My, um, my job is to beg, but I never come in with a beggar's attitude. You know, I thought it was kind of interesting that, you know, I'm on, the, this is for powerful women and I'm thinking, mm -hmm. I have come into so many spaces where I really did not have the power, but power is a mindset. You know what I mean? My mind was I had the power, but um, the reality is I didn't have the money. I mean, I'm always asking for resources and things like that, but I don't, I, I don't feel like I'm lesser because of that. I don't feel, you know, I feel like a wise person would partner with me, would, would help uh, me with this cause because the work is so great, you know? And so, like I said, I, you know, every room I walk into, it's like I cover all the ground I stand on. That's my motto. Well, you brightened up this room, that's for sure. STEM Greenhouse, under your leadership, keep up the great work, Dr. Kelly Christopher. Thank you so much. Produced by women, about women. These powerful podcasts focus on powerful women and how their strength transforms who we are and how we live. Want to hear more powerful women Let's Talk? Get additional interviews at wgvu.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and subscribe. Powerful Women Let's Talk is produced by WGVU at the Meyer Public Broadcast Center at Grand Valley State University. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of WGVU, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University.